volcano watch. This is a momentarily monthly podcast to update you on the volcanic activity of the weeks. I'm one of your hosts, Alessandro Monzo. And I'm your other host, Corinne Jorgensen. We're PhD students at the University of Geneva. We study volcanoes and are here to give you all the hot volcano news. First, the focus of the month, and then the volcano news. Let's get to it! Okay, hello all. Sorry for the long pause. Alessandro and I have been really busy with our PhDs um, as we're both starting to approach the end. Yeah, we miss you all, but we have been very busy actually and we want to continue with the podcast. So instead of a weekly podcast, we will try a monthly podcast in the hope that that works a bit better for us in terms of time management. We hope that is okay for you all. Okay. Anyway, so back in December, we did a few interviews at a cool conference where we were at, and here is one of them with Leif Karlström um, from the University of Oregon, talking about some cool work on volcanoes and sound. Okay, so hi everyone. Um, I'm at AGU right now, and so there might be a few fun interviews with people who have some pretty cool research. So I'm here right now with Dr. Leif Karlström. There's some cool fluid dynamic stuff um, looking at volcanoes and glaciers, but today we're actually going to talk about um, this really interesting project he has called the Volcano Listening Project. So can, can you tell me what is the Volcano Listening Project? Yeah, sure. Uh, volcano Listening Project is sort of a, I guess, loose collaborative, I suppose, at this stage um, of scientists mostly but also musicians who are interested in sort of representing volcanic data through sound um, that can take a whole variety of different forms um, but yeah we're developing codes we're developing outreach projects we're developing these things called data movies mostly which you could think of as just sort of a you know a depiction of data that's both visual and auditory Cool. Okay, and so you use this like kind of technique called data sonification. So can you quickly tell us what is sonification? Sure. Uh, data sonification, um, you know, has a relatively long history, although it's not widely used. Um, and we can think about it just as sort of the representation of data through sound, very simply. Um, for oscillatory data, things like you know, think about a seismogram or something like this. Um, you know, data sonification merely looks like speeding up the data or slowing it down until it's, you know, the signal of interest is in the auditory band, which is 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. Um, and so that's, that's what we call direct sonification for other types of data. You know, think about time series data or event data, geochemistry data, for example. Um, you know, sonification looks something a little bit different, and we, we use a, a variety of different approaches for this. Um, Oftentimes it's termed parameter mapping where you take, you know, maybe temperature versus time and map it, you know, in the simplest sense onto pitch, but you can also think about lots of other ways to do that depending on what you want to convey. The goal with data sonification, um, at least in our context, is, you know, not necessarily to make sort of pretty sounds that you necessarily want to listen to, but rather to tell you something, you know, so that you can learn about um, the data sets. Cool. Okay, so then what kind of data are you looking at? Are you sonifying? Yeah, so it's um, volcanic data for the most part um, and all kinds. So geophysical data is great. You know, we have lots of it. There's um, almost real-time collection of this stuff at lots of volcanoes globally. Um, so seismicity, ground deformation, gas emissions. 
We also look at sort of ages of eruptions. I've done a sonification of the Holocene global eruption record as an example. Um, yeah, so it's everything and different approaches for different data sets. Cool. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about your project at Kilauea? You just presented about it, but do you mind just uh, telling us a little bit more about it? Sure, yeah, this is, um, I guess, you know, sneak preview of an article that we're writing for EOS right now. Um, and it's, it's surrounding, the, I guess, the 2008 to 2018 episode of unrest at Kilauea Summit, so culminating with the big caldera collapse in 2018. Um, yeah, lots of data, so much data from that eruption. And, and what we're interested in doing is, is representing, you know, simultaneously seismic data, ground deformation data for the most part um, that, you know, depicts the progression of the eruption through the different events. And um, in particular, we focused on uh, very long, so-called very long period seismicity, which are events that have um, most of their power in a frequency bands we're actually focusing on above 10 seconds, so 10 to 40 seconds. And these things um, have a remarkable character at Kilauea. They're, they're these like almost monochromatic, like damped harmonic oscillations that are very uh, musical. You can speed them up and they sound like little notes. Um, and so they vary over the 10-year eruption and they tell a story about how the you know temperature and volatile content in the shallow plumbing system evolved. Um, we combine that with a sonification of ground deformation and lava lake height as well as... Uh, regional earthquakes um, to kind of put together the whole picture. And so you, the idea would be that, you know, you can listen to 10 years of data in a minute or two minutes um, and learn everything that there is to know about the eruption that there's, you know, however many hundreds of publications on. Yeah, for sure. Very cool. Um, when people listen to the different aspects of this, this project, what do, you, what do you hope that they get from it? <clears throat> yeah, so you can listen to data for different reasons. Um, I said that we're interested in conveying information, but of course one could listen to this purely aesthetically. Um, there's a whole branch of computer music surrounding um, data sonification, and I, I find it quite beautiful, some of it. Um, yeah, I think, you know, depending on what you're, you're interested in, you're gonna listen to different things, and it actually, you know, this is a little bit different than, than examining data through a graph or visually. Oftentimes you have to listen to it multiple times. There's a lot of stuff going on in natural systems. Um, so you're going to want to listen to it four or five times, and then the par par patterns are going to emerge. Um, so we, we tend to combine these with a visual representation, whether that's just a simple movie of a timeline or an actual animation of a physical model um, for deformation. You know, many people are aware of, like, the Mogi model or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so we'll actually animate, you know, the Mogi model representation of a or in, in model inversion of a geodetic time series. Um, and combine that. So, you know, you sort of have a, a bit of a process-based foundation for things. Um, but, of course, some things you don't know what the processes are, and I think that's where we're at with much of volcano science is that, you know, there's just a lot of data and we're trying to make sense of it and figure out what's going on. And, um, and so you're just looking for patterns, and, and your ears are highly tuned to that. You know, I, could, I can tell you which direction the cars on the street in front of us are coming from without looking at it, right? That's something that's built into how we work. Um, and we don't utilize that sense in science, um, and, and we should. Very cool, very cool. Okay, so if people want to find some of this stuff, where can they find that, and where can they find you and your research? Yeah, um, so the we have a website called uh, volcanolisteningproject.org, um, where you can find a lot of our products, and there's a blog that's various, variably up-to-date. Um, <laughs> 
We have some publications on the sonification. They're not in standard geoscience journals. Um, we have one in, for example, the Computer Music Journal that came out last Ooh, year. Very cool. Um, yeah, yeah, very cool stuff. Um, yeah, I'm at the University of Oregon. You can find me there. Uh, I have a you know professional website, <laughs> etc. But um, yeah, thanks, thanks for for chatting. Yeah, thanks for for chatting with. Us. And actually, before I say goodbye, we usually like to ask our uh, people we interview one kind of fun, silly question. If you were you know out in the field and you discovered a new volcano, what would you like to name it? What would I name it? Yeah. It's a hard question. Francis? Okay, that's a nice one. Very good. Thanks for, for um, saying yes to being interviewed and for chatting with me today. This is really lovely. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, hi everyone. Just because the certification is something that you can actually hear, we thought we'd share a little bit Leaf's work. So this is a certification of the 2018 Kilauea uh, collapse sequence, earthquake and tilt data. Here's a short clip of it. Um, we'll also link on our Twitter, um, a visualization of it and a little bit more information about the volcano project. And at the end of the podcast, there'll be a, a longer version of it. Enjoy. Now for the news. Okay, let's start from our glorious, magnificent, immense, amazing, extraordinary Mama Hetna. Mama Hetna has been busy this month following a relatively quiet winter for her. She did some larger eruption. On May 6th and 14th, she had some eruption causing the elevation color code to be briefly raised to yellow. But near the end of the month, she started making a show again. On May 18th, the aviation color code rise to yellow after the spiking tremor. A seismic swarm in the area also occurred, as well as a ground deformation at the summit stations. There was also an intracrateric Strombolian activity, as seen by thermal cameras only, since the weather was quite cloudy. On May 19th, there started pulsating gas emission rising from the crater and another sharp increase in volcanic tremor, which preceded a lava fountain activity with a 10 kilometer tall ash plume. Does this mean Mama Anna wins the monthly tallest plume competition? Yes, she does, of course. Why you have doubt? There was also a lava flow down the Valle del Bove, reaching up to two kilometers away from the crater. Because of the tall plume, there was ashfall reported in Catania and in the airport, and thus many flights has been cancelled. On May 22nd, the activity decreased, but this past week there has still been some intracrater explosive activity at the southeast crater and minor incandescence, or as we prefer saying, glowings, from Boca Nuova. At Katla in Iceland, uh, the first week in May, there has been some intense seismic swarms, which began with just three earthquakes with above four magnitude. The largest three having respectively a magnitude of 4.8, 4.7, and 4.5. 
These are located just beneath the caldera and they occurred in about 10 minutes, which is like a little freaky. Because of this, the aviation color code was raised to yellow on a four scale, so that's a two out of four. Um, the seismic activity, however, decreased again the day after and then the activity has been considered normal and so the color code returned down to green. At higher Sakurajima volcano in Japan, the activity has stayed pretty constant with incandescence, small plumes uh, from both the Minamikade and Showa craters, uh, as well as some large blocks falling uh, 400 to 900 meters far from the Minamidake crater. The alert level has remained at 3 out of 5, which is quite high, and a 2km exclusion zone is now active. At Bulusan uh, in Luzon, Philippines, there has been many volcanic earthquakes throughout the month um, at a depth between 0 and 5 kilometers. From May 21st to May 22nd alone, there were 34 tectonic earthquakes associated with rock fractures and three that were low frequency, which are generally associated with volcanic gas moving. The public is warned to stay out of the four kilometer permanent danger zone. At Merapi in Indonesia, the lava dome has been producing many avalanches through the month. This last week, there were 236 avalanches alone. That's quite crazy. And I clearly don't invite the guy who counts all the avalanches of Merapi. Also during the month, there was one pure classic flow as well, which traveled up to 2.5 kilometers away from the crater. Alert level is at 2 out of 4, and the public is warned to stay 3 up to 7 kilometers far from the summit. Visible morphological changes in the southwest sector of the dome uh, that is collapsing are quite visible and alert level is now at 3 out of 4. At Karangatang in the Sangiril Islands in Indonesia, uh-huh. the PVMBG, so that's the Philippines Volcanic Observatory, reports intensifying activity in the month of May. For the first few weeks, we saw gash and steam plumes rising up to 250 uh, meters from the summit, which was has been higher than in previous months. Incandescence from the main crater and many rock avalanches were also observed. Currently, the alert level is 3 out of 4, um, which was increased on May 19th with a 2.5 kilometer um, exclusion zone. Let's talk a little bit about Semeru in East Java, uh, always in Indonesia. The uh, volcano produced several ash plumes that mostly remain below the one kilometer in height. Some of the ash plumes were particularly dense. The alert level is now quite high, it's 3 on a scale of 4. The exclusion zone is actually even more restrictive in the sector that might be interested by lahars, avalanches and pyroclastic flow hazard. Uh, indeed, it's a 13 km uh, exclusion zone in the southeast sector from the vent. Authorities recommend people to stay 500 meters away from Kobokan drainage banks, even 17 kilometers away from the vent. And in general, it's recommended to avoid all the other drainages, including bank, camber, and sat. At Suanosujima in Japan, there was a quite a bit of activity last month as well, with frequent explosions at Ontaki Crater. Um, and the ash plume was associated with such activity, which rose up to 1.8 kilometers up in the sky. There's also been some blocks that have been ejected up to 300 meters from the vent. And the alert level is three out of five. And there is a two kilometer exclusion zone. So in general, in Asia, there were moderate activity from Embe in Vanuatu, Barren Islands, Dukanu in Almahera, uh, Gamalama, Ibu, Kadovar, Krakatau, Analon in Philippines, Lewotolok, and Ranung in Java. 
At Rincón de la Virja in Costa Rica, there has been frequent phreatic eruptions throughout the month. Phreatic eruptions, to remind you, are steam-driven explosions that occur from when water is heated by a volcanic activity. Notably, there's also been some high SO2 emissions at Rincón de la Virja, with up to 5,000 tons emitted per day. In this last week, the activity has increased a bit, with phreatic activity also being accompanied by large gas and steam plumes, um, which went up to 2.5 kilometers in height on May 24th. Another quite energetic event also happened on May 27th, with incandescent material ejected and a 4-kilometer water-evaporated dominated plume production. This also called a la caused a lahar, which was detected down in the Pianomo River. At Cotopaxi in Ecuador, there has been some intense seismic activity throughout the month with many long period earthquakes and volcanic tremors. This is also associated with some moderate ash plumes um, with a highest uh, height of about 3 km and the alert level is now a 2 out of 4. At Popocatapetl in Mexico, there was quite a bit of activity this month with daily admissions up to 280. 88, that's quite a bit. There was a, a period of quite increased activity, which started on May 19th with some high frequency tremor that started in the evening. On May 20th, this progressed to steam, gash, and ash plumes with a continued ejection of tephra up to 2.5 um, kilometers from the crater. The airports in the region closed uh, due to ash on the runway and ash was falling on many neighboring areas up to 80 kilometers away. At this point, there had been 19 hours of high-frequency tremor and plumes up to 9.1 kilometers. On May 21st, the aviation color code was raised to phase three, which is the highest, and evacuation routes and shelters were prepared and millions were warned to be ready to evacuate. Now, this high-frequency tremor had been active for over 23 hours. The steam and gash and ash were still continuous, and a SO2 plume reached all the way in Cancun, which is over 1,000 kilometers away. At this point, the ash plume coming from the volcano started to drift to areas over 120 kilometers away, and this continued up to um, May 23rd with a pretty much constant steam and uh, gas emissions with some sporadic ash and incandescent material. There was over 140 hours of high frequency tremors that um, has been recorded. All in all, this eruption has been really impacting the residents. Uh, air quality alerts have been issued in several of the surrounding um, towns, villages, and cities, and the authorities have recommended protective clothing and to stay inside if possible to avoid illness related to ash exposure. On May 28th, over a million students were finally able to return to their their classrooms as the activity had started to die down. And just to remind you, Popocatopetl is a pretty active volcano. It's often erupting. However, it has in the past erupted a volcanic explosivity index of five, which is really quite high. Um, so the vigilance and preparedness is great to see from the community surrounding this volcano. On June 2nd, the tremor has seemed to die down. So hopefully it goes back to its normal smaller eruptions. Yeah, just to have uh, an idea of what a VI-5 can be, it's just, let's imagine, it's more or less about uh, the eruption that, of course, uh, Hunga Tonga Hunga, Hunga Pai. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, so it's quite a huge eruption. Yeah, um, so fingers crossed that doesn't happen yeah. here. So... Uh, at Sangai in Ecuador, there has been a lot of activity. Notably, there have been ash plumes up to 4.7 km and lava flow activity extending 1 km down the southeast flank of the volcano. 
This last week there has been quite a lot of explosion, 304 up to 600. Uh, on May 29 there was a um, 6.9 kilometer tall plume uh, and there are also being produced several pyroclastic flow. At Santa Maria in Guatemala, the fusions from the Caliente Dome, I think that's an amazing name for a dome, by the way, uh, feeds the lava uh, flows along the San Hidros and Jacon Seco drainage on the west and southwestern flank. The main lava flow is currently 4.3 kilometers long and remains active. Not only Alawit St. Helens on May 14, a debris flow remobilized material from the 1980 debris avalanche and eruption of Mount St. Helens. Debris flow destroyed a highway bridge and 11 people has to spend the night in the observatory. It just goes to show, just because the volcano isn't active, it might not still have hazard associated with it. At Ahi Seamount in the Mariana Islands, USA, there's been some unrest detected. There was activity in April, but it paused. However, signals um, this month have shown that it, the, there might be some eruptive activity recorded, um, and this was recorded by underwater pressure sensors on Waikiki Island, which started on May 21st. Additionally, the USGS reports discolored water seen above the area of the vent on May 22nd. On May 23rd, the aviation color code was uh, changed to be two out of four. For the rest of the Americas, we also saw activity from Seven Kaya, Reventador, San Miguel, Semispochnoi, Great Sitkin, Navarro de Ruiz, and Fuego. We also saw moderate eruption at Edbeco, at Besimiani, and Shiluj in Kamchatka. At Niamulagira in DRC, the lava lake has been active through the month. The Goma Observatory reported lava erupting from the summit crater vents, lava flow into the north-northwest part of the crater on May 9th. Incandescents were visible from Gona on the evening of May 17 and 19, and in May 20, drone footage showed lava flow on the west flank, 100 meters down the crater. A downward trend in seismic activity from May 17 to 22nd has been observed. On May 22nd, infrared images show um, a hot lava flow on the northwest flank, but on May 24th, the lava flow on the west flank began to cool and solidify, and lava, and lava fusion continued, but was confined only fortunately inside the crater. Seismicity is now decreasing. Okay, that's it for the, the monthly news. Um, thanks so much for listening, uh, and thanks to our sources, uh, mainly the Smithsonian Global Volcanism Program and the references therein, as well as VolcanoDiscovery.com. Um, we hope you guys liked this monthly version of the podcast. Let us know. You can always tweet at us. Um, yeah. And thanks again to Leaf for this lovely interview. Sorry that it took us six months to to put it into an episode but we appreciate it so much okay goodbye <laughs>